looking for the king of podcasts, you're at the wrong channel. Looking for good ideas for life, you are far from good hands. If you think the listener is always right, you are far from the right place. Hosted by a Northeasterner by birth, a rebel by choice. If you want a host that floats between love and madness, then play on and listen to Crazy Train Radio. What up? Excuse me while I whip this out. Oh, noise! Say what again? Say what again? I dare you. I double dare you, motherfucker. Say what one more goddamn time. I'm surrounded by assholes. And good evening, friends. Hey, this is Zach Galligan, and you are listening to Crazy Train Radio. As you're expecting, you're supposed to be hearing Zach Galligan. But unfortunately, we're going to have to take it a step down, and we got the king of horror, Andy G, on from Talking Terror Presents. What up? Andy, how are you? I'm fine. How are you doing there, Greg? All right, good. So, obviously, you know, we're going to try a little change of pace here and go back and forth, whatever the fuck it is. What Banner, I don't fucking know. So, when was the first time you came across uh, Zach's work? Oh, uh, first time, I think, is uh, the first time for everybody. When I saw Gremlins <laughs> uh, way back in the day. You know, it, it's, you know, you stumble across this little movie, and, you know, you have Zach Allegan in it, and you want to know all about him, because he's got a great presence, and uh, really makes you want to follow that character. And, obviously, you told me when we were talking last night online that you were a fan of both 1 and 2, and 2 was obviously heavy, he- more heavy uh, criticized. What's your opinion on the difference of the two movies? Well, you know, if I if I obviously have to pick between the two, I'm going to pick part one as my favorite. But part two is good in its own right because it brings up the humor. Uh, you know, it makes it more accessible for kids. And I think that's that's big, especially with a horror film, to make it accessible to kids. Because horror, especially nowadays, isn't accessible for kids to watch. It's too violent, too bloody, too much nudity. But Gremlins, even the first one, to a certain degree, you know, it's okay for kids to watch. Yeah, because it's funny with Gremlins one, he uh, or uh, I should say uh, was, uh, you know what I can say it because uh, people hear it in the interview. Uh, Zach had mentioned that it's actually a for the first half of the film, which is true, a Christmas film that turns into a horror film. It's almost like a, you know, not that he thinks it was done purposefully, but it was almost like a bait and switch. You know, people would take their kids, oh, let's go see Gremlins, you know, because it came out around Christmas time and all that. But yet, you, right, know, right. you know, things change halfway through the movie there. And I don't think I'm uh, speaking out of school there because we're, what, almost 31 years out of it since the movie's been released, but. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, well, obviously. I think being the horror guru that you are, 
most people would get a kick out of Zack being in Hatchet 3 as well. So, uh, do you, how cool was that for you to see? Because there was, obviously, and you'll hear it in the interview as well, a lull in the, you know, Zack's career, which you, you'll hear him talk about as well. But to see him in a big uh, project such as Hatchet 3. Yeah, you know, it, it was great for me because I've always loved the Hatchet series as a whole. I'm a huge fan of, of Adam Green. But uh, to to watch Hatchet 3 and see Zach Galligan appear, it, it was, you know, I couldn't believe it. I was like, here's this guy who was in these two highly influential films from the 80s, and now he's in a great another series, Hatchet. And he did a great job, you know. I mean, the guy looks like he hasn't aged a day. You know, he still had it, you know, from when he was in Gremlins. He didn't lose that charm, and I, I love seeing him in that movie. Well, you mentioned another name there, and it's a whole other time and topic we can totally get into. Uh, but Adam Green. Uh, and you and me saw each other at Monster Media in South Jersey a couple months ago. But your partner in crime, Keith, had uh, told me, started to tell me a little bit of a story with your experience with Adam Green. Uh, could you... You tell the story directly. Uh, well, I, the only reason I went to Monster Mania in South Jersey a couple months ago was to meet Adam Green, because I am a, a fanboy of his. Because I think, out of all the directors that are doing work now in mainstream horror, uh, Adam still kind of keeps it independent, but he keeps it fun. And he keeps his movies to what I want to see as a horror fan. He doesn't do movies because the studio tells him to do it. And, you know, to be able to tell him that in person, uh, you know, meant a lot to me. I mean, it didn't come out that way. It didn't come out all professional. And, oh, I'm Adam Green, I think you're great. And, and, no, it came out like a fangirl, you know, crying over Justin Bieber. You know, it was, oh, I love you, Adam. Oh, my God, you're the best. And, you know, just, you know, all weepy, you know. And, of course, he doesn't mind that because he gets, you know, sensitive and emotional, too. But, you know, it was one of those things. It was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And, you know, I don't care what I have going on. You know, the chance to meet Adam Green, I'll take Well, unfortunately, uh, for folks who haven't met Andrew in person or anything or seen pictures, unfortunately, he has tits like a fangirl, but that's a whole different story, so. I do, I do. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a curse. Uh, <laughs> my, my moves carry me through. But, you know, we, like I said, we're going to a completely different direction. We can go a whole, We can go so far with the jokes and the insults, and, the, and that's been a running gag between me and Andrew, but... uh. <laughs> yeah, or you know, talking about Adam Green. Let's go back to Zach. But uh, were you more of a fan of uh, Zach with the movies such as Gremlins, Hatchet Three, yada yada, the new project that he's got coming out, The Chair, or that we haven't seen yet? Or did you enjoy Zach's work on TV such as like Law and Order, Star Trek? Yeah, along that line. I, well, you know, he's versatile. You know, with his uh, with his uh, acting gigs. You know, whether it be TV or movies, I'm more of the movie side of things because I have seen him on TV, but usually it's just the side characters, you know, a guy that's suspected of a murder or, you know, a guy that pops on screen for a couple of seconds just to kind of do fan service because, hey, it's Zach Gallagher, kind of like William Ragsdale from Fright Night. You know, every now and then you'll see him pop up in something like Herman's Head or, or One Order Criminal Intent, you know, and then he pops right back off. So, you know, it's the movies that I kind of celebrate for, for Zach Gallagher. I think that's what stands up through time. Well, obviously, uh, have you, have you uh, guys on Talking Terror Presents talked about the chair or anything like that yet? 
<clears throat> I brought it up on the uh, the show, you know, the show, just because it's Zach Galligan. And uh, <clears throat> Keith actually met him at uh, Monster Mania not that long ago. I think it was about a year ago. You know, this is before the chair really became something. Uh, but, you know, he had actually gotten a photo op and an autograph from Zach Galligan, you know, and talking about uh, Gremlins and Gremlins 2. So hopefully, you know, when it, when it comes out and, you know, I can get my hands on a copy, I'd love to discuss it on the show, you know, as a film. Well, you know, a little tidbit, and it was people have a chance to listen to the interview as well. Uh, from what Zach is telling us, they have been flying through post-production for the chair. And, you know, if they realistically want to get it out, you know, I think it's DVD or he's not sure. He hasn't been updated on what's going on as far as how the releases right. are going to go. But, you know, mm-hmm. if at the pace they're going, realistically, he was saying maybe Memorial Day weekend, early summer there. Well, that'd be great. So, yeah, no, I'd definitely like to see it. I've heard a lot of good things. So, And it, it was definitely a project that was word of mouth and helped out with, on, mm-hmm. as you know, on the, the indie scene and the gracious of social media, you know, Indiegogo, this, that, and the other, Kickstarter, all that stuff. So I definitely think it was a fan-supported project to get the novel into a film. Yeah, yeah, and that's the great thing about social media these days is that, uh, you know, the Indiegogo campaigns are out there to help out people like Zach, you know, get the chair made and out there so fans can see it. You know, I've, I've always supported that the aspect of filmmaking when you go to Indiegogo. Yeah, so, and he, he always, and one last thing about the chair before we get into your social media, he mentioned how much of a, how much fun it was to work with Roddy Piper, which is always, a, which is mm-hmm. always an interesting character because I know you're a wrestling fan as well. Oh, yeah, yeah. But then again, anything by beats uh, Hell Comes to Frogtown, but you know, that's a whole different, you know, ballgame. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, definitely is. But uh, speaking of social media, before we jump into the interview, Talking Terror Presents, how can I get a hold of you guys? What's the 411 on that? Uh, well, if you go on to Facebook, you can find us on there, Talking Terror Presents. We're also on blogtalkradio.com. Uh, we have an archive of all of our episodes. We're up to 81 episodes now, I believe. So uh, if you go on to blogtalkradio.com, you can access our archives and check out what we have to offer. Uh, we are live every Sunday from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. I believe we're also on Twitter and Instagram and all that other stuff. So yeah, you can go ahead and check us out there. Yeah, especially that Twitter box seems to be follow- or very popular. I'm finally deciding to use the, use the Twitter. <laughs> yeah, it was bad enough I couldn't spell beforehand. Now I gotta cram everything into 140 characters, fuckers. I know, yeah, I know. That's the big thing. 140 characters or less. I mean, come on, you know. That's too much to say. Yeah, then again, I could be uh, trying to put tweets out like uh, Chris Humphreys about Bruce Jenner, but that's a whole different. You know, I won't go there as well. Well, yeah, I mean that's that's a horror movie all in and of itself. <laughs> yeah. so. There, we, I smell 100th episode for Talking Terror, the Bruce Jenner movie. Yeah, that'll be our 100th episode. <laughs> We'll do the Bruce Jenner documentary. <laughs> uh, in my transition. Uh, well, speaking of moves and transitions, let's go to the interview. And that's what I'm talking about. Those screams that come from beyond that door. It's like nothing I ever heard. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> 
Cheaper than our producer's underage sister. Edgier than the stuff shown on late night television. Newer than Kim Kardashian's ex. Live from Orlando, it's Crazy Train Radio. Hey, this is Zach Galligan, and you are listening to Crazy Train Radio. Hello. 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 So, you know, as you're expecting, you're supposed to be hearing Zach Galligan. But unfortunately, we're going to have to take it a step down, and we got the king of horror, Andy G, on from Talking Terror Presents. What up? Andy, how are you? I'm fine. How are you doing there, Greg? All right, good. So, obviously, you know, we're going to try a little change of pace here and go back and forth, whatever the fuck it is. What Banner, I don't fucking know. So, when was the first time you came across uh, Zach's work? Oh, uh, first time, I think, is uh, the first time for everybody. When I saw Gremlins <laughs> uh, way back in the day. You know, it, it's... You know, you stumble across this little movie, and, you know, you have Zach Allegan in it, and you want to know all about him, because he's got a great presence, and uh, really makes you want to follow that character. And, obviously, you told me when we were talking last night online that you were a fan of both 1 and 2, and 2 is obviously heavy, he, more heavy uh, criticized. What's your opinion on the difference of the two movies? Well, you know, if I, if I obviously have to pick between the two, I'm going to pick part 1. As my favorite, but part two is good in its own right because it brings up the humor. Uh, you know, it makes it more accessible for kids, and I think that's that's big, especially with a horror film, to make it accessible to kids because horror, especially nowadays, isn't accessible for kids to watch. It's too violent, it's too bloody, too much nudity. But Gremlins, even the first one, to a certain degree, you know, it's okay for kids to watch. Yeah, because it's funny with Gremlins one, he uh, or uh, I should say. Uh was, uh, you know what, I can say it, because uh, people hear it in the interview. Uh, Zach had mentioned that it's actually a, for the first half of the film, which is true, a Christmas film that turns into a horror film. It's almost like a, mm. you know, not that he thinks it was done purposefully, but it was almost like a bait and switch. You know, people would take their kids, oh, let's go see Gremlins, you know, because it came out around Christmas time and all that. But yet... Right, you know, right. You know, things change halfway through the movie there. And I don't think I'm uh, speaking out of school there because we're, what, almost 31 years out of it since the movie's been released, but. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, well, obviously, I think 
being the horror guru that you are, most people would get a kick out of Zach being in Hatchet 3 as well. So, uh, do you, how cool was that for you to see? Because there was, obviously, and you'll hear it in the interview as well, a lull in the, you know, Zach's career, which you, you'll hear him talk about as well. But to see him in a big uh, project such as Hatchet 3. Yeah, you know, it, it was great for me because I've always loved the Hatchet series as a whole. I'm a huge fan of, of Adam Green. But uh, to to watch Hatchet 3 and see Zach Allegan appear, it, it was, you know, I couldn't believe it. I was like, here's this guy who was in these two highly influential films from the 80s, and now he's in a great another series, Hatchet, and he did a great job. You know, I mean, the guy looks like he hasn't aged a day. You know, he still had it, you know, from when he was in Gremlins. He didn't lose that charm, and I, I love seeing him in that movie. Well, you mentioned another name there, and it's a whole other time and topic we can totally get into. Uh, but Adam Green. Uh, and you and me saw each other at Monster Media in South Jersey a couple months ago. But your partner in crime, Keith, had uh, told me, started to tell me a little bit of a story with your experience with Adam Green. Uh, could you you tell the story directly? Uh, well, I, the only reason I went to Monster Mania in South Jersey a couple months ago was to meet Adam Green, because I am a, a fanboy of his. Because I think, out of all the directors that are doing work now in mainstream horror, uh, Adam still kind of keeps it independent, but he keeps it fun. And he keeps his movies to what I want to see as a horror fan. He doesn't do movies because the studio tells him to do it. And, you know, to be able to tell him that in person, uh, you know, meant a lot to me. I mean, it didn't come out that way. It didn't come out all professional. And, oh, I'm Adam Green, I think you're great. And, and, no, it came out like a fangirl, you know, crying over Justin Bieber. You know, it was, oh, I love you, Adam. Oh, my God, you're the best. And, you know, just, you know, all weepy, you know. And, of course, he doesn't mind that because he gets, you know, sensitive and emotional, too. But, yeah, it was one of those things. It was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, and, you know, I don't care what I have going on, you know, to chance to meet Adam Green, I'll take Well, unfortunately, uh, for folks who haven't met Andrew in person or anything or seen pictures, unfortunately, he has tits like a fangirl, but that's a whole different story, so. I do, I do. It's, yeah, it's, it's a curse. <laughs> uh, <laughs> my, my moves carry me through. But, you know, we, like I said, we're going to completely different direction. We can go a whole... We can go so far with the jokes and the insults, and, the, and that's been a running gag between me and Andrew. But uh, yeah, or you know, talking about Adam Green. Let's go back to Zach. But uh, were you more of a fan of uh, Zach with the movies such as Gremlins, Hatchet Three, yada yada, the new project that he's got coming out, The Chair, or that we haven't seen yet, or did you enjoy Zach's work on TV such as like Law and Order, Star Trek, yeah? You know, Long that line. Uh, well, you know he's versatile. You know with his uh, with his uh, acting gigs. You know whether it be TV or movies. I'm more the movie side of things because I have seen him on TV, but usually it's just the side characters. You know a guy that's suspected of a murder, or you know a guy that pops on screen for a couple seconds just to kind of do fan service because hey, it's Zach Galligan, kind of like William Ragsdale from Fright Night. You know every now and then you'll see him pop up in something like Herman's Head or or one order criminal intent, you know, and then he pops right back off. So, you know, it's the movies that I kind of celebrate for, for Zach Galligan. I think that's what stands up through time. Well, obviously, uh, have, have you uh, guys on Talking Terror Presents talked about the chair or anything like that yet? 
<clears throat> I brought it up on the uh, the show, the other show, just because it's Zach Galligan. And uh, <clears throat> Keith actually met him at uh, Monster Mania not that long ago. I think it was about a year ago. You know, this is before the share really became something. Uh, but, you know, he had actually gotten a photo op and an autograph from Zach Galligan, you know, and talking about uh, Gremlins and Gremlins 2. So hopefully, you know, when it, when it comes out and, you know, I can get my hands on a copy, I'd love to discuss it on the show, you know, as a film. Well, you know, a little tidbit, and it was people had a chance to listen to the interview as well. Uh, from what Zach is telling us, they have been flying through post-production for the chair. And, you know, if they realistically want to get it out, you know, I think it's DVD or he's not sure. He hasn't been updated on what's going on as far as how the releases right. are going to go. But, you know, mm-hmm. if at the pace they're going, realistically, he was saying maybe Memorial Day weekend, early summer there. Well, that'd be great. So, yeah, no, I'd definitely like to see it. I've heard a lot of good things, so. And it, it was definitely a project that was word of mouth and helped out with on mm-hmm. as you know on the the indie scene and the gracious of social media you know indiegogo this that and the other kickstarter all that stuff so i definitely think it was a fan supported project to get the novel into a film yeah yeah and that's the great thing about social media these days is that uh you know the indiegogo campaigns are out there to help out people like zach you know, get the chair made and out there so fans can see it. You know, I've, I've always supported that the aspect of filmmaking when you go to Indiegogo. Yeah, so, and he, he always, and one last thing about the chair before we get into your social media. He mentioned how much of a, how much fun it was to work with Roddy Piper, which is always, a, which is mm-hmm. always an interesting character because I know you're a wrestling fan as well. Oh yeah, yeah. But then again, anything probably beats uh, "Hell Comes to Frogtown," but you know that's a whole different you know ball game. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, definitely is. But uh, speaking of social media, before we jump into the interview, Talking Terror presents. How can I get a hold of you guys? What's the four one one on that? Uh well, if you go on the Facebook, you can find us on there. Talking Terror presents. We're also on blogtalkradio.com. Uh, we have an archive of all of our episodes. We're up to 81 episodes now, I believe. So uh, if you go on to blogtalkradio.com, you can access our archives and check out what we have to offer. Uh, we are live every Sunday from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. I believe we're also on Twitter and Instagram and all that other stuff. So yeah, you can go ahead and check us out there. Yeah, especially that Twitter box seems to be follow- or very popular. I'm finally deciding to use the, use the Twitter. <laughs> yeah, it was bad enough I couldn't spell beforehand. Now I gotta cram everything into 140 characters, fuckers. I know, yeah, I know. That's the big thing. 140 characters or less. So like, come on, you know. That's too much to say. Yeah, then again, I could be uh, trying to put tweets out like uh, Chris Humphreys about Bruce Jenner, but that's a whole different. You know, I won't go there as well. Well, yeah, I mean that's that's a horror movie all in and of itself. <laughs> yeah. so. there we, I smell 100th episode for Talking Terror, the Bruce Jenner movie. Yeah, that'll be our 100th episode. <laughs> We'll do the Bruce Jenner documentary uh, in my transition. Uh, well, speaking of moves and transitions, let's go to the interview. That's what I'm talking about. Hey, folks, uh, while he's promoting 
an upcoming film that is due to come out shortly called The Chair, which is based off a novel. His character was Officer Riley. Zach Galligan, how are you, sir? I am doing just fine. Thank you. Well, I, I guess I should start out with this before we get into the movie and the other quest, obvious questions that people would want to know from Zach. Uh, I told Zach this uh, yesterday through text when we've been back and forth uh, trying to get everything scheduled and, you know, life happens. But the one thing I found most interesting was that uh, when I made an announcement on social media, some of the females who were old enough to remember Zach in Gremlins were like, I don't know if you call it ape shit or, you know, just like they were super excited uh, that was going to be talking to you. What kind of reaction do you normally get when you meet fans who either they realize who you are if they come across on the street or at conventions or whatever the case may be? Well, I mean, I would say that the reactions really vary from person to you get everything from the person shrugging and going, oh, that's cool, you know, to to some people kind of, uh, you know, getting really excited. I mean, it, it is kind of amusing. Some people do get excited to the point where they're sort of trembling and you're kind of, you just kind of want to say to them, I'm just a normal person. Relax. It's not a big deal. You just need to kind of. Oh my talk god, about. are you Zach Allison? Oh my god, can I have your autograph? Oh my god. Oh my god. That's my roommate in the back. Oh my god. <laughs> She's just ragging on me. Uh, um, it's perfect entertainment there. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it, it does. It does. It's very flattering, and and sometimes sometimes they get very stick, but I. Are pretty normal. Yeah, because I was like, yes, yeah. There was I was surprised to see a Facebook group dedicated to you all about Zach Galligan, and yeah, you know, that my one of my posts was shared within the group, uh, and because there was a uh, what was it, a Twitter follower, which by the way, it's ZWG Man for those who want to follow Zach on uh, Twitter. Uh, she shared it in the group, and they. That was one of the people that kind of was going down the line there. And she, uh, I'm like, uh, and this is what I told you yesterday through text. It's, what the hell? Should I uh, let Zach know he, we need to get him in witness protection or something? <laughs> no, I know who that is. That's just Diane. She's cool. She's, uh, she's a, let's just say she's an enthusiastic Twitter supporter. Yeah. And she'll be very happy to hear herself mentioned uh, on this podcast. Yeah, I did tell her we were going to at least say hello. So, D, you owe me 20 bucks for saying that. Uh, there you go, D. <laughs> but anyway, let's start off with the chair. Uh, one of the questions we got on Facebook and stuff it was, uh, what kind of uh, preparation did you need? to get into a role like this based off the novel? Um, well, I think the first thing that you need to do when you're playing a character, I mean, I, for the people who are listening who don't know, I'm playing a, a pretty brutal prison guard in it. And I didn't really know that much about, and thankfully, about prison general. So... What I first wanted to do was kind of figure out what the guy sounded like. Um, so I did a little research just sort of like, you know, on what they, 
<clears throat> you know, the average prison guard is kind of like in terms of his class and education and, and, and whatnot. And then I tried to figure out what's the closest person that I've met who kind of would look and talk and sound and walk like that. Um, so I came up with somebody that I knew that I thought would be, you know, kind of appropriate. It's almost as if I just asked this question, like, if I was going to meet this character, who would this character be? Who, 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 who would this character remind me of? So I came up with this guy that actually probably a five years ago, who I thought was perfect. Everything about him, the way he walked, the way he chewed gum, the way he slicked his hair back, everything. So once I had that, I kind of had a template to work off of. And and then that kind of the rest of the character fell into place. And then it was just kind of your basic research about, you know, how the prison system works and some of the abuses that are there and whether the stuff that's in actually possible, that kind of stuff. So it was basically first just figuring out how the guy walked and talked and sounded. That, that was the most important part. Well, you mentioned doing research there, and obviously you've been in the acting game long enough, uh, 34 years, to know what you need to do. But with something like this story that was based off a book, are you one for part of your research that will go read the book to get more insight into the different characters? Oh, yeah. I mean, you, you, I'm a big believer in that you want to use the text as your template unless, you know, as your inspiration, unless somehow it's really deviating from the text. But since the text was adapted by the guy who did, you know, Peter Samedi, who did the, uh, did the graphic novel, it's basically his vision. So what I'm trying to do is he's a storyteller, and I'm trying to be the best possible cog that I can be in the storytelling mechanism. See, really, if you're a good actor, what you're doing is you're helping to tell the story. You're not trying to call attention to yourself. That's the People kind of sense that, and, and whether they're aware of it while they're watching the movie or not, they resent it. So what you want to do is you want to blend in and be a really kind of invaluable cog in the machine that people are interested in watching. So that's what I tried to do to the best of my ability. Well, working on set, you have a, a very eclectic cast uh, working on this project, and, such as like Roddy Piper and several other actors who you can find on Facebook, the, the chair, look it up. We'll have links posted with this as well. Uh, who was the most interesting person on that set? Because I know you were there for six days or, say, a third of the filming uh, process of this. Yeah, well, you know, when the budgets are, uh, are lower, you have to move quicker. That's just the way it is. You don't really, one of the things that money gives you, at least in terms of, of, of film budget, is it gives you sort of more of the luxury to kind of take your time. But with a lower budget independent movie, you don't really have that luxury. And to be perfectly honest, I know this is good, a lot of people might not believe this, but I kind of prefer it because I kind of saw some of this, these, the pace at which they work, work, work at, you know, where they're doing one page a day. It's, it's kind of unnecessarily slow. If I'm going to work on a film or something like that, I, I want to get in there. I want to do it. You know what I mean? I want to get it. Let's like, let's do this thing. So, uh, you definitely get your, get 
low-budget movies because you've got to go. You know, you don't have any time to do anything uh, other than the movie at hand. So, um, so as far as uh, people on the set, I mean, it, you're right. It was very eclectic, and there were some very cool, interesting people that I hadn't met before. Um, I'd never worked with Ezra Buzzington before. He was did, did a terrific job and was a terrific professional. Um, I was really curious about Roddy Piper because, you know, he's – I really thought he did a terrific job in They Live, and um, so I thought that he had some good acting chops to begin with. But then also he brings a very, very rich improv background because what most people don't realize about wrestlers – is that a lot of wrestlers trans, uh, you know, kind of uh, translate well to screen because they have to make a lot of stuff and have to improving and and on those promos that they cut. So Roddy uh, basically had 30 years of improv training thanks to the WWE. So that muscle that he had developed was really finely tuned. So the director. Uh, Chad Farron was like, just go ahead and, you know, improv whenever you feel like it. And when he first said that, I was kind of like, uh-oh, you know, I wasn't sure what we were going to get. And then I watched um, Roddy work, not only with him, but sometimes I would just watch watch him when he was, uh, you know, uh, when, when I was off camera. And he really, uh, yeah, he really was um, – very super quick and super creative and and quite honestly very impressive so i was kind of like wow this guy's this guy's improv and ad lib skills after three decades are just like honed to a razor sharpness so yeah i mean everybody was pretty brought a kind of an interesting cool energy to it i mean those are the two that come immediately to mind but uh but everybody kind of brought something kind of cool and interesting and dark to the project. I'm I'm kind of interested to see it. Well, I guess with the chair, my uh, final question would be uh, is, do you have any update on terms of uh, release, whether it's on DVD or online or, you know, whatever form of medium? Well, I don't, but in kind of in a way that I do, because – the teaser trailer came out something like three weeks after we finished or maybe two weeks after we yeah, finished something the like movie. That. And I just emailed the director and he's like, I am done with the rough cut. So we, we were, I was shooting two months ago. So the fact that he's done with the rough cut, it just seems like it's going to be sooner than later, just in terms of the speed at which the project has been completed. So if there's a rough cut now, if they really wanted to, they could have a finished product by Memorial Day. So if they have a finished product by Memorial Day, you'd kind of you'd kind of think you'd want to put it out in October. I mean, that's what I'd want to do. I'd want to put it out October 20th, you know, right around Halloween, where it would gain that kind of like, not that it's really a horror movie, though. I think some horror fans would be disappointed because it's not really like there's no there's no supernatural element in it. There's no there's no monster in the prison that crawls out of the sewer grates or anything like that. It's just horrific in terms of, you know the man against man kind of a thing. And it's violent. So would you say that's more, it but, would fall more under say a thrower uh, type of movie? Yeah, I would put it, I would say it's more like a, yeah, it's more like a psychological thriller 
where you don't know what's really happening and what isn't and what's a hallucination and what's not. And obviously some of, some of what's depicted is very violent and disturbing. So it has, definitely has what you would call horrific elements in it, but it doesn't have supernatural elements in it. Although there's certainly a, a, a fair amount of gore. Yeah, because I was also, and we don't have, we don't want to go into specific detail because of how, uh, and I'm not afraid to say fucked up be the topic, but I heard you recently speak. You know, doing my research, you uh, were speaking, I guess, with somebody associated with the film, and you were talking about a specific scene in a movie, which was a uh, rape scene or something. Yeah. So, you know, that, that that right there should just tell you what kind of uh, psych- psychological thrower we're getting into. So, Well, the other thing, too, is, you know, most people go, oh, prison, whatever. But, you know, the, re- the reality is if you really take a good, cold, hard look at what prison in America or around the world is like, it's the worst possible place that you can be. I mean – there are rules, but in ways there aren't rules. Everyone circumvents the rules. The guards are just as bad as the prisoners sometimes. Um, there's abuses everywhere. It, you have the worst people on the planet all locked up together. I mean, it's a nightmare. Yeah, and if you think about so, it, what you were saying there as well, Zach, is – and hell, they have TV shows here in America for it where it's called lockup and stuff where there's a – got like your set of rules – coming down from, like, the warden and the guards and all that, then you have, like, that subculture of rules within the within the prisoners where they look at, okay, you can commit murder or robbery over here, you're all right, but if you do other crimes, you're looked really down upon, so. Yep. So, you know, find out more on Twitter with at the chair horror. Uh, they're on Facebook. They're all over social media with that. But, I'm curious to know, let's uh, change gears a little bit here, uh, Zach. Uh, Last year was 30 years for Grumlins. Uh, Where's the relevance looking back 30 years? Is it a classic? Where where do you think it stands at this point uh, in time? Well, you know, it's not really for me to say because I'm part of it, you know. But, I mean, I'll tell you what it seems like to me. What people tell me is that it's that it's basically, you know, I get I I hear phrases. People ask me, how does it feel to be like a part of American pop culture? Like that's a that that's the way some people feel about it. So that's an amazing feeling, you know. People call it a classic, you know. People people use things like the legendary 1984 horror film, horror comedy, whatever. So it's it's reputation seems to be pretty set you know, as, as a classic from that decade, which is, which is, um, you know, just, it's really kind of thrilling. I I know it would seem strange that like, how could something be thrilling 30 years later, but to see the place that it's kind of, you know, taken in, in, I don't know if it's so much like snobby film culture, Although I think it's actually surprisingly respected in snobby film culture, even though it's kind of a silly movie about puppets. But it's it's you know Joe Dante's a very clever guy, and it's very clever, cleverly done, and and almost perfectly executed, at least as far as the direction and the editing are concerned. And I think the acting is kind of underrated in it too. I think there are a lot of nice performances in it from 
Polly Holiday and Hoyt Axton and Francis Lee McCain, who plays my mom. I think Phoebe's very good. Corey Feldman's very good. I mean, it's got Dick Miller. It's got a lot of good performances. Um, but in terms of pop culture, I think people who are pop culture junkies think that it's just like, you know, one of the five or six seminal pop culture movies of the 80s along with Back to the Future and Ghostbusters and the Goonies and, you know, all the stuff that kids, people grew up on. Yeah, it ranks right up so it's there. Really, it's really, it's right up there. And, and probably the thing I hear the most that makes me smile the most and probably makes me the most happiness, uh, the most happiness, gives, gives me the most happiness is when someone comes up to me and they say, I just want you to know right now, you are essentially my childhood. <laughs> well, <laughs> you yeah. know, and that's just like, because uh, when you're 20 at the time, you don't realize about the generation 10, 15 years, 20 years below you that you're impacting so strongly. Or if you do, you don't really care about whether or not you're making an impact on five-year-olds. It's only until the five-year-olds grow up and become 35-year-olds that you can be like, wow, I really... I really kind of, you know, helped to have an impact on an entire generation, like 10 million people who grew up watching this movie over and over again. And now that it's kind of like a morphed into a Christmas movie, you know, <laughs> I, I, it's, I have parents come up and they go, yeah, we got her started on it too. And there's a little seven-year-old with a gizmo doll and, in her hand and you go, eh, it's the gift that keeps on giving. Yeah, because I, and I would actually fall under that generation because I was born in 84 there. But, you know, I, I was, I don't know, that I can recall maybe three, four years old, first starting to watch it. And, yeah, definitely, I would think you uh, did have, were part of an influence uh, of that generation. Uh, but it's also interesting if you look from a technical standpoint or standpoint with that movie, excuse me, that you you've talked about uh, countless times where you, with a gizmo you uh, did a lot of improvisation or improv excuse me and you had all kinds of wires going up and down your arms and your legs and just everything with the to work gizmo for the electronics yeah sure so uh what do you like uh having physical effects like that when you work on a project where it has to be done right there on set or do you prefer seeing things with a CGI effect, say, like when you did uh, Hatchet 3? Well, Hatchet 3 actually was, was like Gremlins. It was practical effects. Um, everything that you see there is right in front of you. So there actually was no CGI because Adam Green, uh, who did the, the Hatchet series, he is a big, big fan of practical effects. And, and I wouldn't say he hates CGI, but he certainly prefers practical effects uh on the whole so yeah so i mean that was i felt right at home with uh with with the hatchet movies that that was great to kind of revisit those effects again well uh do you think uh back to gremlins for a second there uh, what probably one of my favorite uh stories i heard uh about you was because and you mentioned it earlier when uh with the chair uh there was a lot of downtime with Gremlins, and the classic story that I heard was that you were actually sitting playing uh, video games with uh, Steven Spielberg. Uh, what's the story on that? Well, the story is that Spielberg, not surprisingly, uh, was a huge video games fan, and, and maybe he still is. I don't know, but um, 
at the time, he had an office uh, in Warner Brothers for Ambling Pictures, and which is his production company. And he, um, you know, he was working a lot, and he was doing Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. But in his office, he had a bunch of video games. He had Millipede. He had a racing game called Pole Position. He had a game called Food Fight that I fell in love with burgers and bananas that he buried each other. And it was kind of ridiculous. You know, we're talking 1983 stand-up video arcade games like Robotron and Defender and whatnot. And so whenever there was a big delay, which was often on Gremlins, I would work his office in uh, video games. Well, And no. so one time I went over there, he was there. And he, he was like, you want to play in pole position? And so I started playing in pole position thinking because I was young that I would kill him, and he just killed me. Ah, uh, hell. Well, you know, it's interesting because obviously, like you referenced Indiana Jones and different things, Jaws and things that he'd done and was already a pretty established person in the Hollywood and film game. But something I found interesting, and maybe you can tell me if it kill, had killed your uh, momentum a little bit uh, as far as your acting career for a while there, was that after Gremlins comes out, it's a real success, you know, people are loving it. Your folks had said to you, hey, hey man, we want you to go get a real job, so we think you should go to school. Uh, did that going back to New York uh, kill you at all to go to Columbia, even though you're probably grateful now for having a degree? Uh, yeah, I would think that, that probably, like, if I had to do it again, I would not have made that choice. I would have probably stayed in L.A. and, and struck more while the iron was hot. But, um, you know, the problem was that nobody in my family had any show business experience. So I didn't have the benefit of like, you know, having Clint Eastwood be my dad and go, hey, dad, what should I do about this? You know what I mean? Like <clears throat> nobody in my family had any idea what to do. So we were just operating by kind of old school ideas of, you know, you should get a degree and you should do this. I mean, what someone should have said is, what are you out of your mind? You've got a huge movie here and you can come back and get your degree anytime you want. You've got to strike while the iron is hot. But, of course, nobody told me that because nobody knew it at the time. You know, how did anyone know that? Nobody in my family was in show business. So, yeah, I think that probably hurt hurt my momentum, you know. But, uh, but you can't really use that as an excuse because I've had decades, you know, to try and revive it. But the fact of the matter is you do kind of only get that one window when everyone's like, so is he going to do it? Is he not going to do it? And then if – if you don't really follow it up with something super impressive. I mean, I actually thought I did follow it up with something super impressive. And that was the Molly Ringwald suicide movie that I did called surviving that put me on the cover cover of people magazine. And what I didn't realize at the time was that television in 1985 was kind of considered like second grade and second tier level. It was kind of like the B team. So it was kind of like, Oh, we thought he was a movie star. Now he's doing TV TV is God. Yeah, but let's then, let's well, fast forward though to this time because you say that. Think, look at shows on Fox and different channels. How many guys who, or gals who have made their bones in say movies, like a Kevin Bacon or something, are doing TV shows now? So I think that mentality has changed somewhat. Oh my God, it's completely changed. That's what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is, at the time, 
1985, people were like, oh, God, TV, really? Like I said, now everyone says TV is God, you know, and they think it's the best thing ever. But that's not the way it was. If you were doing TV, you were sort of considering, well, I guess I guess you couldn't get movies then. But but now it's different, and it's there's really only one real reason why it's different, and I think most people don't know the reason, but as an actor, I can tell you why. Most people are doing TV for one major reason. They can say the scripts are better, and you can argue about whether or not the scripts are better, but there's way more money in television now than there is in film. If you want to make a really good living and get rich, you do a TV series. If people could get rich doing a mo- movies now, they would, but it's almost impossible to unless you're one of the top 10 stars on the planet. But if you're on a TV show, you're filthy, you're rolling in it. So it's much more a financial thing than anything else. Oh, well, yeah, I guess with sponsorships and then you got like the different subscription-based channels, you know, Netflix and HBO and this, that. You know, there's 500 of them if you really look into it. So, yeah, you could see the money being there. But you've actually done TV. I got a couple more and we'll let you go because we were telling you only 20 minutes. But uh, you've done both TV work and film. Uh, you've done like Law and Order, Seventh Heaven, and you know different shows like that. Uh, do you have a preference in the medium you do, whether it's TV, film, or even stage work, since you're based in New York? Um, I just tend to like to do things that move and go quickly. You know, I don't like. The, uh, it makes me crazy sitting around doing nothing all the time. You know, I, if I'm going to work, I want to, like I said, there and I want to do it. People say, hey, man, we're doing 10 pages a day. I'm like, let's do 10 pages a day. Let's do 15 pages a day. Doesn't matter to me. Let's just not sit around and like, you know, unless you have to move the can perfect and whatnot. But if you can move quickly without sacrificing quality, let's move quickly. And that's kind of what they do in TV. So in certain ways, I kind of prefer TV because it, it moves. Don't spend your entire day sitting around. Kind of makes me a little nuts. <laughs> yeah, if you're going to work, you want to work. And that's, you know, I think like, especially being a Northeast guy, I get that uh, for sure. Yeah. But uh, my final question, professionally at least, you might be able to answer this. You kind of did with school and all that other stuff. But uh, being based out of New York, even today, does that help you or hurt you? Since they take filming locations all over the place. Um, well, I think, you know, I think it's undeniable that there's, there's more, there's a lot more casting that happens in Los Angeles than happens in New York. So I think in New York, you know, you do kind of miss some of the opportunities. Uh, there are probably more opportunities in LA than there are here in New York. I don't really think you can argue that. But the problem is when I live in L.A., or at least when I did for 15 years, I went a little nuts because there's really not that much stuff to do out in L.A. I don't particularly find it very – I don't find it that interesting. So maybe it's changed. I don't know. I mean, I've been out there fairly recently. It seems like it's pretty much the same. But I just kind of need a little bit more stimulation if I'm going to live somewhere all year round. Well, you know, do you, speaking of that, do you think uh, because of the hustle bustle of New York and everything else uh, that you could kind of sneak in quietly uh, when you're on your private time 
or personal time where in LA you have especially you notice like TMZ and this one and that one you know always putting stuff out there for the public to view that you may not want to be seen. Well, I think you're certainly more scrutinized in LA, you know, but I mean, I don't think TMZ is going to bother me because I, I'm not on a hit TV show. Maybe if it was on a hit TV show, TMZ would be all over me and it would be a nightmare, but I don't really foresee that happening right now, <laughs> you know, but, but uh, yeah, I, pro- I probably have a difficult time getting TMZ to even yeah, you know what? So, yeah, you know what? You've you've obviously done something right because you've been in the game for as long as you have and have made a living. So you you've obviously over time done something right. <laughs> but the movie is called The Chair. Uh, keep uh, attention on social media for sure. Uh, we're gonna keep plugging away because this is an interesting movie and everything else. Zach, thank you so much. Thank you. I appreciate it. Hey, you still there? Hey, Zach. Like tailgating, stock car racing, and the blues, Yingling is purely American. Like neighborhood hardware stores and local diners, Yingling is a family business. And just like talking football, politics, or beer, Yingling is no nonsense. Yingling is like a lot of things, but our lager is unlike anything else. It's a true American lager, purely independent in a way that's hard to find these days in a way that's avoided every superficial fad and fancy distraction that doesn't have to do with making great beer. Maybe that's what's made Yingling Lager kind of an icon. It's no frills, no shortcuts. Beer that's all about the beer. Refreshing, isn't it? It says something about Yingling and the people who drink it. Ask for it on tapper and bottles wherever you go and get a taste for yourself of an American original. Think about it. We've survived for 185 years by making darn good beer. Yingling Lager. From America's oldest brewery, D.G. Yingling & Son, Pottsville, Pennsylvania. Please enjoy responsibly. Do you enjoy murder, madness, and mayhem? Then find it with the King of Horror, Andy G., and the Mad Guru Geek Keith on Talking Terror Presents on blogtalkradio.com and iTunes. Talking Terror Presents, where no film is too good or too bad. He's Those innocent people. 